Amen. Amen, Lord. We were broken, and you made us whole. We were dead, and you made us alive. We were living in darkness, and now we're living in light. You are our Lord of victory, and we thank you so much. Thanks be to God who gives us our victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. A a beloved verse by many Christians, Lord. Thanks be to Jesus. We'd be lost without you, Lord. We'd be lost forever. Thank you for loving us so much. Thank you, Lord, for having the love in your eyes that we can see so clearly, even though we have not seen you yet. We can just imagine the love in your eyes. We love you tonight too, Lord. Let let that be our message to you, that we're madly in love with Jesus Christ here at Freedom Church. And we'll always be in love with him as long as your Holy Spirit will help us. And we know he will, because that's the desire of his heart too, that your people serve you with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul, with all their strength, and love you in that exact same way. To you be the glory. Let us hear from your spirit now, Lord, as we dig into your word. And prepare us all for Sunday. Lord, when your word will go forth once again from from this pulpit and from many pulpits, and to you be the glory. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you, Matt. Beautiful, beautiful songs. Wow. Again, everybody who just tuned in on wherever else we broadcast, this is Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches, and I'm Pastor Joe. We're glad you're here. You can turn to freedomchurchpb.org. And a website, freedomchurchpb.org, and you can check us out, messages, um, you know, uh, what we're about. You can uh, donate whatever you choose to do. So we preach the whole gospel here. Some things a lot of people don't like to hear that, you know, that, um, and some things that we everybody does like to hear. But we're not going to, if Jesus said it, if the Word of God says it, we're going to believe it, that settles it. So, um, just so you know that, if uh, my quickest statement about Freedom Church is, is this: it's all about Jesus here. It's all about Jesus Christ, Him crucified, according to the Scriptures, dead, buried, and is risen the third day. So praise God for that. As I mentioned earlier, we are in Isaiah chapter, or not Isaiah, Genesis chapter 26. We learned a whole lot in the last several chapters, and I can't go through it again. It, it's impossible to do and, and, and get through the book of Genesis. We've been um, in this book for 25 weeks so far, and we got another 25 to go. After tonight, it'll be 24. Uh, sometimes I might spend two, two weeks in a chapter because it's important, and I'm trying to take as we go through it and show you parallels, Christophanies, um, typologies of the picture of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In chapter chapter 12, or no, 22, we saw Abraham, a type of father, Isaac, a type of son, and we saw the, uh, the sacrifice. God said he'll present he'll pride himself the sacrifice. God said way back in Genesis 22, 3,400 years ago, that I myself will be the sacrifice. 
It's right there in Genesis chapter 22. And then we, we got into chapter 24, and we saw a type of father, we saw a type of son, we saw a type of Holy Spirit, and we saw a type of bride of Christ. Beautiful parallels that, that are right here today, 20, 3,400 years ago, these were spoken and written. So praise God for that. Abraham being the type of father, Isaac being the type of son of God, you know, Eliezer, whose name means helper, is a type of Holy Spirit who went out to get a bride for Christ, and he brings back Rebecca, and the Holy Spirit is doing the same thing today. He's going out into the world, and he's drawing a bride in for Christ. And then, of course, we see uh, Rebecca, you know, as the bride herself, and that is a picture of the church today. We who believe in Jesus Christ are the bride of Christ, and we are we are engaged to him right now. Right now, you're engaged to Jesus. So we don't have the intimacy that you don't have whenever you're physically engaged, the physical part of it. But someday, when we're raptured out of here, when the restrainer is taken out of this world, then we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and we're going to see him intimately. You're going to have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ because just what we sang here tonight you're going to see the love in his eyes. You hear about the love in his eyes now and in his heart for us, but now we're, then we're going to see it. What a beautiful picture God is painting. So tonight is on Genesis chapter 26, and it's about Isaac who goes to East Egypt. I am going to show you some stuff tonight that, that a lot of even churches don't believe, and I'm going to show you ancestral sin is repeated here in this chapter. And if you don't believe in ancestral sins, the sins of the forefathers passed on to the third, the fourth generation, well, you need to read Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9, and you need to read Exodus chapter 5 and verse 4 and 5, and you're going to find out that ancestral sin does pass on the family line. I'm going to show you two of those things here tonight, okay? Ancestral sin is a reality. Okay, so um, let's read. Let's read Genesis chapter 26. Maybe we won't read the whole chapter first. I might stop somewhere along the way, and we'll continue from there in the next part. 26. Chapter 26 of Genesis, I'm reading from the New American Standard, verse 1. Isaac settles in Gerar. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. You see that in Genesis chapter 20. I'm going to reference it tonight. So Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land which I shall tell you. Sojourn in the land, and I will be with you and bless you. For you and your descendants, I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath with which I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and will give your your, give you these lands and your descendants, all the nations of 
the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac lived in Gerar. When the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, she is my sister, for she was afraid, for he was afraid to say, my wife, thinking the men of that place might kill me on account of Rebekah, for she is beautiful. It came about when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out through a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. And Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, certainly she is your wife. How then did you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I said I might die on account of her. And Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might have easily have lain with her, with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech charged all the people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. We'll stop right there and we'll study a little bit. So there was a famine in the land. If you remember right, Abraham in chapter 20, he went down to Egypt, okay, because there was a famine in the land. And this references that there obviously was a famine in the land. And uh, Abraham went down to Egypt. Now, he wasn't told to go down to Egypt. He just did it. Now we see that Isaac, you know, goes down to Egypt, but he doesn't enter into the land of Egypt. Isaac never stepped a foot into Egypt. He went to the southern border of, of the Canaan, and that was it. And God said, stop, do not go into Egypt. So Isaac uh, goes to Abimelech, and I remember I told you Abimelech is not the guy's name. It is a reference uh, to his kingship here. It's another name for Pharaoh, say Pharaoh, or President of the United States. It's not his name. This is another Abimelech. Abraham ran into Abimelech too in Egypt. But, um, you know, the, it's, it's a title. It's a title. So this is about 30 years after Abraham's covenant was given 30 years later than uh, when God gave the covenant. And God's reiterating this. In other words, if God said it, that settles it. It's done. It's as good as gold. God's not a man that he should lie. He's not a son of man that he needs to repent. He has spoken, and he will do it. So if God said something to you in your life, he spoke it to you in a rhema word, a word directly to you, you can, you can better believe it is going to happen. Now, your belief will quicken that answer. I can guarantee you that. You believe it, and God will eventually do it a lot quicker because your, your belief, your faith, helps motivate the answer. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, it says, The word of God was preached to them just as it was to us, but it did not prosper them because it was not mixed with faith. You have to have faith. If God said it, have the faith to believe it. And that's all that you have to do. Okay? So, God warns Isaac in chapter in verse 2 of chapter 26. Do not go down to Egypt. Isaac obeys. 
It must have been tempting, though, because he was right on the border. It's kind of like you go to Niagara Falls, you know, you have to get off of the American side. You have to go over to the Canadian side. And we'll look at a better look at the falls, you know. Um, so it must have been tempting, but he obeyed God. He did not go into Egypt. God just gave him a subtle warning, and he obeyed. God makes three promises to Isaac concerning his descendants in verse 3 and 4. He says in verse 3, your descendants will inherit the land. That's the Canaan. That's the promised land. God said it. That settles it. In verse 4, he says, your descendants will multiply. He's saying your descendants all the way to Messiah and beyond will multiply. You're going to be as he told Abraham, as the stars of the sky, as the sands of the sea, so you won't be able to count your numbers, and neither can we do such a thing today. We can't count it. Can't, you can't imagine it. Scientists say that the stars of heaven are 10 to the 21st power. That's a lot of stars, and God knows them all by name. I believe it's Psalm 40 or Isaiah 40 that tells us that. He knows them all by name. I can't even remember 40 people's names in, in the church, you know. But uh, he remembers, and he knows them all by name. And verse 4 also tells us that all nations will be blessed through, through his descent. All the nations. And you think about it today. Every nation on the face of the earth. I went to several different mission trips. Everywhere I went, I ran into Christians. Everywhere I went. I mean, I didn't get to the deepest parts of Africa. You know, like the pygmies or whatever you want to call them. I never got anywhere near that. But you know what? They're, you know, every nation on the earth will be blessed because Messiah is coming. So not only are you, you know, the, the Jews are saved before the, you know, before the cross. They were saved by faith in uh, Yahweh. And we, are we have faith in Yahweh looking back to the cross today. So all the nations are blessed. You can't imagine counting all the, the physical descendants of Abraham and the spiritual descendants of Abraham is impossible to count. It's like the stars of heaven, the sands of the sea. So God is right now reestablishing his commitment or his covenant with Jacob. He's reestablishing it. See, God doesn't forget. Man's the one who forgets. God doesn't forget. Isaac gets a lesson from a pagan king just like his father did, Abraham, who got rebuked by Pharaoh for saying to Pharaoh, she is my sister, because Abraham thought the same thing. Abraham thought, Sarah is so beautiful, surely they'll kill me to get her. So, so he says she's my sister, and he was telling the truth. It was a half-truth, which makes a whole lie. So, so um, here we see Isaac. Look at this, verse 6 through 11. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar, and the men of that place asked about his wife, and he said, she's my sister. Same thing his father said about Sarah. For the same reason. When you consider this, Isaac was not alive when Abraham went to Egypt. Isaac was not alive. It's ancestral sin. It's ancestral sin. Like father, like son. It's, it's amazing. It's, it just ties into Exodus chapter uh, 20 and verse 
4 and 5. And let me read them for you. Exodus chapter 20, verse 4 and 5. You'll know it right away, this passage, because it's the Ten Commandments. And we have a respect for the Ten Commandments, and therefore you better have a respect for these two words, these two verses, because it's ancestral sin. Verse 4 and 5. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. So here it is. The next generation, Isaac is doing the same thing his daddy did, and Isaac wasn't even born when he was in, when Isaac, when uh, Abraham and Sarah were in Egypt. And then he doesn't, he goes and says the same thing because he thought, lest the men of this place will kill me for Rebekah because she is a beautiful, is beautiful to behold. Now, not only that, he's saying the same thing, the same excuse. He's lying. Abraham lied, and guess what his son does? He lies. This is ancestral sin. And a lot of pastors today, and even people, do not believe in it. Listen, you believe in the Ten Commandments. That's the Ten Commandments I was just reading to you. And you can, that's duplicated. When God says something twice in Deuteronomy chapter 5, it is duplicated. Let me read it for you so you can get the, the gist of this. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 1 and following. Then Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the ordinances which I am speaking to you in speaking today in your hearing, that you may learn them and observe them carefully. The Lord our God has made a covenant. Um, I want to skip down to the, the sixth verse, okay? I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Remember that commandment? You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them nor serve them, for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities on the children of the, of the third and the fourth generations. Ten Commandments, written twice. Jesus said things several times, twice several times, and whenever God says something several times, he means it. This is ancestral sin, and it has passed on this family line. Let me give you another uh, such place. Is You remember that Cain killed Abel, right? And Cain was sent out. He Actually, Genesis 4, 16 says, he said, he said in the 13th verse, my punishment is too harsh. And then he, in 16th verse, he went out from the presence of the Lord. That's the worst thing you can do. Go out from the presence of the Lord. Because out of the presence of the Lord is hell. That's the real definition of hell. There'll be the absence of God. Now, absence of God. Now, Cain's uh, 
grandson, I believe, or maybe his great-grandson, was Lamech. And guess what he did? He killed somebody. Like father, like son. Like mother, like daughter. This is an ancestral sin that passes down the family line. Did you ever go to the doctor and he says, who, you know, he, he tells you you got sugar diabetes, and the doctor says, who else in your family has it? Did you ever notice that? See, doctors have picked up on that, but they don't equate it to the Bible. Well, this was written 3,400 years ago. Come on. You're going to believe God or you're going to believe, you know, what you want to believe? Just believe God. A lot of pastors don't believe in deliverance because of this. And it's a sad, sad thing because I don't know about you, but I see Christians around, and I've known a lot of Christians in my 44 years of being a believer, and a lot of them just aren't right. <laughs> a lot of them have some hang-ups, drunkenness, alcohol, sex, pornography, you, you name it, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, and a whole host of other sins. Listen, we have problems, and it has to be, and you need to be delivered from them. So don't take it lightly upon the, uh, about these kind of things. She's my sister. That's the ancestral sin. Okay? He's just repeating what his daddy did. She is beautiful to hold. But behold, both of these women were beautiful. Sarah and Rebecca, beautiful women. And I'll bet you they didn't have Mary Kay. They were just beautiful all the way around. Not only were these women beautiful externally, obviously they were um, virtuous women. That's why I taught on on Mother's Day. You know, they were virtuous women. Because God didn't choose them by their outward appearance, even though they were beautiful. I could picture Mary, the mother of Jesus. I don't picture her to be ugly. I picture her to be a very beautiful woman. Not only outside, but inside. Because God probably, I know God would look at that first. What did the angel say to Mary? He said, you have found favor with God. Why? It wasn't the outward appearance. It was the inward heart. It was the inward heart. So here, here Abimelech sees Abraham caressing his wife. And he gets the picture real quick. You told me she's her, your sister when you wouldn't be kissing your sister like that or caressing her or hugging her or another version says sporting with her. You know, I mean, he knew that this was uh, something that goes on within a f husband and a wife. So he recognizes. And here he says in verse 10, let me read verse 10, And Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might have soon laid with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. Listen, this is a pagan king. Just like Abraham got rebuked by Pharaoh for doing the same thing, here's another pagan king rebuking Isaac for, for lying. That is not a good witness. That is not a good witness. He gets caught. He gets caught. And it's not good. Another ancestral sin. Ancestral sin. A lie. 
half truth, but a whole lie. Abimelech, the heathen king, recognizes sin on two counts. Look, now he what he says in verse ten: "What is this you have done? You have brought guilt on us." Do you realize this pagan king recognizes sin? He recognizes this sin. If she's your wife and somebody slept with her, you're you're pulling us into sin. Now, God, you know, was going to keep the family line pure since it's Abraham and, and Isaac. Um, you know, so what have you done? You brought guilt on us. Now, do you know that this is, I don't know, it's, let's see. The fear of God is obviously in this place. For all we know, um, you know, the 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 record of, of Sodom and Gomorrah's destruction drove fear into the Jews. If you remember right, on Sunday, I talked about the scarlet thread of Christ through the entire Bible. If you remember right, Rahab was acknowledging the spies that she knew that the God of Israel parted the Red Sea 40 years prior. 40-some years prior, basically. It's about 43, 44 years. Okay? She recognized that. And she said to them, I know that your God is God. She said, I know, I heard what you did to the kings that came against you as you came into the prom- into the land. And in she, the, 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 the uh, recognition of Yahweh had gone far into the land. People feared the Jews because of Yahweh and what he had done. We sang it tonight as Matt sang those beautiful songs. He parted the Red Sea for them. You know, we're, this is, remember now, how many years later this is, and we're still talking about it. They do movies on parting of the Red Sea with Moses. You know, it's still around today. The fear of God used to be in people for adultery and fornication. But it's not so much today. Today, we act, this world actually is glorifying this kind of stuff. People get a, you know, people, I, I can remember when I was working in the, like a mill back when I was just in my early 20s. And I remember the guys bragging about, you know, they're married, but they're sleeping with the secretary over here. They're all lying, I think, I hope. You know, they, they brag about it today. Here's this king saying, listen, obviously she's your wife, and, and I, I recognize adultery lest I could die or my people could die on your account, on account of her. They fear Yahweh. They fear Yahweh here. But today they glorify both. Today I went online to check some statistics out. Today they actually say that in a marriage, over 70% of me, 70, no, over 20% of men cheat on their wives. And over 13% of women cheat on their wives. And now, you know that a lot of them didn't tell the truth, right? Because how many people would admit that? But, and listen to me, what even shocked me higher was the, the age of the most guilty parties of adultery. The ages. For men, the highest age 
you know, was 70s and in, in their 70s cheating on their wives. And for women, it was 60s. And women in their 60s cheating on their husbands. That statistic is bad. We glorify this kind of action today. And it's not to be done. We have lost the respect for, the, for what's written right in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But today, sad, sad world. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse, as a matter of fact. But being rebuked by a pagan king, I don't know about you guys, but um, I know people who were be rebuked by heathens because, Christians, I should say, they were rebuked by heathens because of what they'd done. Deliberately ripping people off, deliberately lying and cheating. That is not a good witness. And this was not a good witness for Isaac, for Abimelech, or the people of his country. And it wasn't a good witness for, for Abraham to Pharaoh. You know, um, and, um, but God told Pharaoh, you listen to whatever he says and go pray. F and you tell him and he'll pray for you. What? Pharaoh, Abraham's going to pray for Pharaoh? Abraham was the one that sinned. But he said he's a prophet. And he, you know, listen to this. A pagan did king did exactly what God told him to do. Verses 12 in that chapter 26. Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. Man, that's a lot. Everybody wants to reap a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the men became to pro man became to prosper and continued prospering until he came became very prosperous, for he was possessing flocks and possessions of herds and great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father had dug in the, in the days of Abraham his father, and they filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than I. See, they're fearing Abraham or Isaac now they're fearing him because he was blessed by God financially with servants and herds and and uh, and uh, possessions so they stopped up the wells to keep driving him further away but Isaac just kept digging the wells you'll find out that Abraham was a, a man of building altars, and Isaac is a man of uh, digging wells. They were scared of him. They were sending him away. They were envious of him, says verse 14. And verse 17, Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water, which he had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, for the Philistines stopped them all up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which were his father, which his father had, had called them. So God is supernaturally blessing Isaac here. One hundredfold. Wow. The Lord blesses him. 
he begins to prosper. He continues to prosper. And then it goes on. It says he was very prosperous. He possessed flocks and herds and great number of servants. And because of that, he was envied by the Philistines. They were jealous. So what they want to do was drive him out of their land. They were scared to death he was going to rule over them or take over them. But you can find out as we go through this chapter that Isaac is a man of peace. He's a peacemaker. Philistines violate Abraham's covenant and they fill those wells. Okay? They regulate, they're trying to regulate the water sources to drive Isaac out of the land. By the way, Abimelech is a Philistine king, just so you know that. Philistines had stopped up all the wells. They filled them up with earth. Isaac did not, he did not go after them and rebuke them. He just moved on. His character insight. He's a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? Sons of God. This is a son of God, as we well know. So Isaac digs other wells. Verse 19, Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water. This is obviously an underground river or spring. And running water. Now that means it's cool, it's refreshing, it wasn't stagnant at all. But the herdsmen of the Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, This water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, which means quarrel or argue, because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well. See, Isaac's just moving on. He's not fighting. He's not a man of war. He just moves on. He digs another well. Um, and he calls it Sitna which means hostility. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it, so he called it by its name, by its name Rehoboth, which means room enough. Now there's room enough. They drove him as far out of the land as they wanted him to go, and he just moved along. Uh, watch what uh, happens now. For the Lord made room for us, and he shall be fruitful in the land. Then he went up from there to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night in night and said, I am the Lord, the, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servants Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. So here's three times God blesses Isaac. Herdsmen of Gerar dispute for, for the, the first well because they were jealous. Isaac named it Essek, which means quarrel. He wasn't going to quarrel. He's a peacemaker. He is, uh, he's not going to argue. There's not going to be contention. He just moves on. Um, he turns the other cheek and leaves. He does what Jesus is teaching us, you know, a thousand years better later. He turned, you know, he's taking them not, just turn the other cheek. Now, I'm not saying, God, Jesus wasn't saying be a doormat for people. He was just saying turn the other cheek when it's, 
you know, when it's not worth quarreling over. Remember, I went through the soldier bit in Second P, Second Timothy, chapter two, verse three. It says, it says, uh, if you're an active soldier, don't get entangled in the affairs of this world. And that's the way Isaac is looking at it. That's the way I see. He's not a soldier. He's not getting entangled in this world. Even though he's not a soldier, he's not going to fight for it. They quarrel over the second well just as well. It's named Sitna, which means enmity, strife, or hostility. They were hostile, so he says he just left. No, no more war. He wasn't about to, to war. He turns his other cheeks again. God gives Isaac a third well, okay? And there's no problems with this well. Isaac names it Rehoboth, which means spacious. Means spacious. There's enough space for everybody. And you well know, even though this earth is pretty well populated, there's still a lot of room left. There really is. Um, God encourages Isaac in verse 24. He appears to him. He says, Do not fear, for I am with you. God is keeping his promise that he made to his father Abraham. Isaac now is learning trust in, in his relationship with God. And we already noticed that in chapter 22, Isaac, like Christ, was willing to lay down his life. He's willing to give up land here. It's no big step from there, you know, from giving up your life. He was willing to give up his life for God. He's willing to, to move on for God. So Isaac's response in, all, in the midst of all this persecution, he builds an altar and he worships God. And that's a good sign for each of us today. You want to overcome the world? Worship God. It was in our songs here tonight. I don't tell Matt what songs to teach or sing or, or Liz. You know, it was in there tonight. How to overcome the world? You worship God. I know when I ran into my bad times in life, I had every possible praise tape available in my car at all times. That was back with the cassettes. And man, I was always listening to those cassettes. All praise music. So that I could overcome and worship God and quit looking at it. In Psalm 22, 3, in a paraphrase, it's usually paraphrased by people today. It says, God inhabits the praises of his people. Now, you're going to have a hard time finding a version that quotes it exactly that way. But that's exactly what it means. In a paraphrase, God will inhabit your praises, and you will begin to feel better. When I see people in church that are just looking out there while worship's going on, I'm thinking, like, you need to inhabit this praise, you know. And some people just can't get into it. And some people really get into it, which is nice. So why worship? Number one, you know, it's good for your heart. And it's good for God's heart. It's like a sweet-smelling aroma that goes up before the throne of God. A lot of people don't like people in church, you know, maybe doing a little dance in their seat. I'm not, as long as they aren't out of order, that's fine with me. I see people in this church do dance their hands in the air, blowing kisses to God, you know, spinning around, doing a little dance. They aren't, ex they aren't 
uh, causing any problem. I believe every one of us should do that. And when you get to heaven and you see all the people before the, the throne of God, I can guarantee you they're standing still thinking, thinking you know, they're going to be excited, riled up, blessed as they worship God. So spiritually, you want to apply this. You know, when you're ha- harassed by the enemy, trust God and just praise him. Be a peacemaker. Don't cause war. You know? Some people like to they say in this world you're sweeping it under a rug. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. You're to be at peace with all men. You look for the good points in people and not the bad points. Because you can always find bad points with sinners. We're all sinners. You can always find a bunch of bad points. So look for the good points. Well, that person's a... You know, a good person. They're a giver. They're an encourager. They're an exhorter. You know, they love to worship. They are great teachers or whatever it may be. Uh, Verse 26 of chapter 26. Then Abimelech came to him, to Isaac, that is, from Gerar with Azahath, one of his friends, and Pishol, the commander of the army. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? But they said, we have certainly seen the Lord is with you. So we said, let there be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm. See, they're scared to death of Isaac now. Since we have not touched you and since we have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord's. So he made them a feast. No war. He didn't rebuke them. He didn't say, why are you, why, why are you doing this? And keep on, you know, going back to the line in verse 27. Why do you hate me? He just said, okay, they want to make peace. Let's do it. Let's do it. So he made a feast for them. You know, you make enemies over, I mean, friends over the table. You know that, right? When you invite somebody to your table, he's your friend. You know, so there they made he made a feast, making them his friends, and they ate and drank, and they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another, and Isaac sent them away, and they departed him in peace. So you can see God is with Isaac, the Philistines recognize it, and I'm just wondering, do people recognize that God is with you? Does he recognize God is with me? So when somebody calls you out for being a Christian, that's a, that's a reason to rejoice. I think it's Luke, my Matthew, no, Mark, my Luke 6.22 or Mark 6.22. Jesus said, when they spurn your neighbor for evil because of my name's sake, jump and leap for joy, for great is your reward in heaven. That's a paraphrase. So Isaac seeks peace. Abimelech seeks peace, and Isaac isn't going to start any war. He is glad, I'm sure. Isaac seemed to be afraid. I mean, Isaac seemed to be afraid of the world, uh, but that that must be why God said, do not fear. I don't know. I don't know. I I would put Isaac in a place of humility, and even a lot of people today think that if you're humble, 
you're a weakling. They do. They take advantage of you. I've had that happen to me in business over the years a hundred times. They think because you're humble or meek, then they can walk all over you. But I'll tell you what, to be humble and meek is a great strength. It's not a weakness. It's a great strength. Because imagine if Adolf Hitler had such a gift of humility. I don't think he would have killed so many Jews and Christians, along with other evil men that walked on the face of the earth. Here's what Proverbs 16, 7 says, and it'd be cool for all of us to note. I got four stars beside it. Make, that means don't forget to quote this verse. Proverbs 16, 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And that's exactly what happened here with Isaac and with Abimelech, the Philistine king. It's the world here seeking peace with Isaac because they're scared to death. Someday, the world is going to seek peace with God in Christ and with, with people that are believers in him. But I get the voice of the martyrs on my cell phone, and we get magazines here on the voice of the martyrs. And I saw one yesterday and today, the same one uh, of you know, believers being martyred for Christ. And you say, I live in America, thank God, <laughs> you know. The world may be afraid of you because you are blessed with God and they recognize it. I'll be honest with you. You know, our landlord here, he's a nice guy. I like him. He likes me. But when I preach the gospel to him, which is every time he comes, he's running out the door. <laughs> you know, he can't wait to get out of the door because I'm putting a commitment there to him. You know. And I could actually see the fear in his eyes one time as he walking out the door. But he still likes me, and God made him be a favor with me. Thank God, you know, we didn't get our rent raised yet, so thumbs up. Um, we have the antidote for eternal life, and the enemy will try to shut you up. That's all there is to it. You have the antidote to bring people into the kingdom of heaven because you can preach the blood of Christ to them, his resurrection. You know what they're afraid of? They're going to become like you. And they know what you are. And you know what names they're, and they know what names your friends, his friends call you and me. So he don't want to be called Jesus Freak, Holy Roller, or any of those names, you know. And that shows me that he's a weakling. He doesn't have courage, enough courage to say yes to Jesus. You and I, over to you and I over the Internet and those here, you've said yes to Jesus. I hope you did over the Internet. Those here, I know, are, the ones that are here, I know that you have. We see more insights to Isaac's character in verse 30 and 31. Yeah, we're verse 30 and 31. 
it says, so he made a feast and, he, and they ate and drank and they rose early in the morning and swore an oath to one another and Isaac sent them away and they departed in peace. Okay, we see uh, insights into Isaac again there. He's showing them kindness, made a feast with them. He shows faithfulness to them. He swore an oath, okay, to them. And he shows them forgiveness for sending them away because they hate, hated him. And you know what? So what was he doing? He was preparing a place in the wilderness for them. You know, yea, though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. He was preparing a table in the desert for them. Before this was ever written, it's written here in the words uh, and the actions of Isaac. Verse 20, 32 and 33. Let's see. It came to pass same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug. And he said to him, we have found water. And they called the well Sheba, which means oath. Okay, because he made an oath there with, with Abimelech, the Philistine king. Okay, therefore the name of the city is called Beersheba to this day. And Beersheba means oath well or well of oath. Okay. So these are reminders. Isaac was naming the wells. Abraham was naming the altars. Abraham is a man of altars. Isaac is a man of wells. And Jacob, you're going to find out, is a man of tents. He lived in tents. So God always provides refreshment when we extend grace to our enemies. That's a good point and a parallel you can see in there. You be kind to your enemies. There's another verse of scripture that says, when you are kind to your enemy, it's like pouring hot coals on their head. They're sitting there going like, you know, I know you, ha I mean, I hate you, but you're saying I love you, you know, back. And I tell everybody, usually in counseling, marital counseling, or any kind of counseling, I tell everybody, you don't fight fire with fire. I watch Chicago Fire. I like Chicago Fire on TV, okay? They have never seen them fight fire with fire. I've seen them fight fire with water or a fire extinguisher with the, the uh, whatever that's called in there. I don't know what it is, but, you know, they don't fight fire with fire. When you fight fire with fire, you get a hotter fire. You fight fire with water, it cools down. That's why it's important to be a peacemaker. He extends peace to them. And then verse 26, uh, chapter 26, verse 34 and 35, you know, it's, it's, it really should, I think, tie into the next chapter, but I'm going to touch on it anyhow. When Esau was 40 years old, he took uh, as wives Judith and uh, daughter of Barry the Hittite and Basemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. You know, it's just a parallel here. These are Philistines. Hittites are Philistines, okay? So they are a thorn in Israel's side even to, to this day, okay? But they were also a thorn in Isaac's side way back, way back. They were always a, a thorn because, you know, they married um, outside the flock of God. You know, we're not, to, we're, to be we're not to be unequally yoked. 
I tell people that even when I marriage counsel them, yes, you're both Christians, but, you know, he's down here in his spirituality and you're up here. You got problems. You got problems. Yes, you're both believers. That's a good point. But something we got to balance out here. Husband, you need to beef up your, your spirituality. And wife, sometimes you might have to come down. And usually when the wife gets down and the husband gets up, they're quarreling because the wife won't release control. And that's a problem. And that's a problem. They married Canaanite women and they were thorns and, and we got to be careful. You know, and a lot of people, and I've counseled many people over the years, they married unbelieving spouses and they run into big problems. Okay, so be careful. Um, we'll touch on, on uh, Jacob and Isaac. That's going to be the deception next week in chapter 27. So, um, okay, that's about it for this chapter. We'll be through with Genesis. You know, uh, uh, Genesis is so power-packed with stuff, you know, and you see Jesus really all through it, Messiah, all the way through it. Okay, Father, thank you for this night. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the worship, Lord, that uh, you've blessed our people in our church with the talents to do it. Thank you, Lord, for, for the life you've given us. Thank you for your very word, Lord, that we can trust and hold on to all the days of our life. Father, we want to have faith to move mountains, Lord, just like the early prophets did, just like the disciples did, you know, in, in the days that you walked the earth, and just like, uh, like the uh, pastors and teachers and evangelists are doing today. Father, we want to see these signs that accompany those who believe in your name. We want to see demons cast out. We want to hear the speaking of tongues, Lord. We want to lay hands on the sick, and we want to see them recover. And we want to be able to see the demons leave, leave and get to the pit where they belong. In Jesus' name, Lord, to you be the glory. Amen and amen. God bless you, church. Love you all.